1: everybody, and welcome to Dr. Zoe Today. Today's show is part two of Perv, the sexual deviant in all of us, which is based off the title of one of my guest's books, Jesse Barry. Jesse has been on Conan, Chelsea lately, Playboy Radio, featured in the Huffington Post, the New York Times, the Boston Globe, and many, many more. He's currently residing in New Zealand, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Welcome back, Jesse
2: Thanks for having me, Dr. Kelly.
1: <laughs> we've had scheduling issues, we've had technical issues, but thank you so much for coming back on the show. I last my week's pleasure. discussion, yeah, last week's discussion was really interesting. We got some awesome feedback, and we kind of left them with a cliffhanger. But before we pick up with our conversation, uh, tell my listeners a little bit about what you do for a living in New Zealand.
2: Uh, well, I'm at the University of Otago. I'm an associate professor of science communication um, here at a, a research center uh, in that area, but I'm trained as a psychologist. Awesome. Awesome.
1: And where can everybody go and purchase your controversial books?
2: Uh, Anywhere online, I mean, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, and and physical bookstores as well. The paperback is coming out um, in about a month or so. October 7th, I believe, is the release date for the paperback.
1: The paperback of Perv, the sexual deviant in all of us? Yep. Yeah. Okay, awesome, awesome. All right, because last week was such a cliffhanger, let's kind of um, just recap a little bit. We were talking about outlandish sexual fetishes, and we were talking about a man who was a sexual cannibal. He put an ad in a paper in Germany. Tell my listeners about, let's finish up that story that we were talking about.
2: So, Do you want a gratifying ending to this story? <laughs> I
1: really, ahead. I really don't. But I think my listeners are I like, know. what? Yeah. yeah. Um
2: Okay, so this was the story of a sexual cannibal um, in Germany in the, the early, I think it was, I think in 2002, 2003. Um, he placed an ad online recruiting, basically a um, another gay man that wanted to be eaten. So he was the he was the can, he was a sexual cannibal, but there are also a class of people apparently out there in the world that that desire to be or have parts of them eaten for sexual gratification, sort of the ultimate sexual gratification. Mm. So there was a response to this ad that he posted at this website called the Cannibal Cafe, which mm. has since been removed. It was it was supposed to be a fantasy site. But so
1: how how long, it, long ago is this? When did this happen?
2: This was this was maybe ten years ago or so.
1: Okay, gotcha.
2: And um, this young man volunteered to be eaten. He went over to the guy's house, um, and the sexual cannibal himself was actually—I mean, if you looked at him from an outside perspective, he looked like a normal guy. He was a hmm. computer programmer or an engineer or something like that. Oh
1: my god! And
2: um, <laughs> but he had a—you know—he had a—he had some sort of really kinky—you um, know—torture chamber. Kinky in his house. is
1: an understatement.
2: Yeah, kinky, kinky is an understatement. Okay. Right, so he has for, like a
1: torture chamber and stuff.
2: Yeah, so basically um, I I cited this example because it it actually posed somewhat of a philosophical problem in terms of defining harm clearly when we're talking about sexual deviance because um, uh, when it actually culminated the event, um, the the person who was eaten actually begged the cannibal to eat him. Um, So it was definitely sort of a... It, it was a mutual a volitional act. You know, consent. It was a two adult, you know, consensual, consenting sexual partners. Um, they dined on his penis together, I believe, before he was actually eaten. Uh, they what? I, on his
1: penis? They dined on his penis together?
2: Yeah. And I think the, the cannibal said it was sort of chewy or something along those lines. Was sort of a notorious oh, comment on Oh, my gosh. Case. Very okay. disturbing. Um, okay, so what that happened? That was interesting.
1: What's the, what's the end result? What happened to the cannibal? Oh,
2: well, well then, so so then the I mean the interesting thing again was this sort of philosophical dilemma. What do you do with this guy because he yeah. was engaged in a mutual consensual activity, but of course it was a criminal act in the sense of committing homicide. Right. Um, so he he was um, you know I think he, I think he actually was sentenced to murder and he was sentenced he was he committed convicted convicted of murder sentenced to life in prison. Um uh but it didn't go without debate, I think, on both sides of the
1: Yeah, I'm sure that, you know, they have to be careful. Like they had to be careful with locking him up too, because, you know, he doesn't wanna like be around other prisoners and maybe try to eat somebody, you know?
2: I mean that's yeah, yeah. crazy, so crazy his fantasies his fantasies yeah. to live with now.
1: So is that pretty much like the craziest like fetish that you have come across
2: um, not the weirdest. I mean, it's just probably one of the more disturbing ones. Um, okay, what would but, you say you know, is the weirdest? Well, you know, there are um, all sorts of – sort, I mean, there's 547 distinct paraphilias, I believe. You know, these are – you know, it could be one or two people 547
1: that are, like, clinically have a label. Yeah. There's like probably more than that. But those are, like, what are, like, officially considered, right?
2: These are – these are – these are cases that have been verified by psychotherapists or practitioners um have seen actual clients with these these distinct okay. sexual disorders, and again, this means that the person's biggest turn on basically and oftentimes it's the only thing that will get them off is this very specific. Um,
1: like the guy throwing you know, himself down the steps. That's like yeah, the fine, one, That's it. like yeah. he's exclusive in that area. It's not like something that's like common though, right?
2: No, I mean, you, you, like I said, you know, it could be two or, you know, one or two people in the entire world, but the fact yeah. is that they exist and something happened to them developmentally or they were sexually imprinted with that that particular fetish. Um, but there's, you know, we talked about, I think last week we talked about the objective sexuals or the objective the objectophiles who are attracted to very specific objects like a chair. Yeah,
1: that's definitely um, really weird, really, really rather weird. Rather
2: than, yeah. yeah, which is different from the, you know, your average fetishist, somebody who's who's a panty fetishist. or or high, yeah,
1: high heels, right. and the, like that.
2: And the, and the guy that, you know, your typical fetishist, like panty fetishist, um, the interesting thing here is that what they're attracted to is not, it's not so much the object. It's the fact that that object... Has made physical contact with the person that they sexually desire, so they're basically using the, the pair of panties, for instance, as a sexual surrogate for the actual person. And right, would Be even right. more arousing than having sex with the actual person. But it's that's that why ladies, you always
1: send your men if they're away on a business trip or if it's a long-distance relationship, send them some panties. Definitely. Okay.
2: Worn, yeah, worn panties. You can't exactly, of
1: course. I mean, so <laughs> exactly, panties, he, he, course. I mean come on, yeah. of course.
2: Well, that's the thing. Like if you. <laughs> Well, for somebody who's like a shoe fetishist, to they go to like a secondhand uh, shop or something, that's like, you know, that's a brothel for them.
1: Okay So also you brought up sexual imprinting In children and we talked about that last week And I've heard time and time again Jesse, about parents who Chastise their children for masturbating Like telling them they're going to go Blind or deaf or that God's going to Punish them God quote unquote is going to punish you And you're going to burn in hell if you masturbate Even though you know they also teach them That God created them Um, How detrimental is this Because even in my own client that um, I've counseled, like you know, a lot of these guys were raised in "quote unquote" Christian homes, and they've just been like they were—they got in so much trouble for masturbating. So, how detrimental is this to healthy sexual development for the child?
2: It's funny you should mention that actually, because I'm presently working on an article for Playboy about um, the masturbatory habits of cel- so-called celibate priests, mm-hmm. um, and there's a there's a lot happening. There, As you would expect. I mean, you know, pretty much all of them are masturbating, but they feel tremendous guilt um, because for many of them, it's sort of a violation of their celibacy vows. So they come up with all these sort of rules to circumvent it. Like if I don't, if I don't physically touch my penis, you know, with my hands.
0: Oh my God! Something
2: else, and it's okay. <laughs> or, you know, if I happen, you if know, if I just happen to have a spontaneous emission while I'm, you know, in the shower. All you
1: priests listening out there, does it, isn't it that <laughs> yeah. God sees everything? So as I you know, put yeah. that object on your penis and it jerks you off for you, it's still God is right there watching. So whatever. Some way or another. <laughs> yeah, some,
2: I mean, the point is that it's 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 absolutely ridiculous to think it, it's the whole thing is, about masturbation all, it is, and, all it, like we can um, get into
1: religion we can get into all that stuff the whole thing is but what do you think like when a parent like punishes a child for masturbating instead of teaching them oh, okay you're exploring yourself it's natural it's healthy you know and you're yeah. and they're like you're going to go deaf. you're going to you know what a, i mean what I that think, you know especially what, at that 16%. age of the sexual imprinting
2: Right. So there is the danger, I suppose, because if they, you know, if the child is aroused at the time that they're being punished or disciplined, they may begin to associate that that sort of um, negative response, this sort of exhibitionism or mm-hmm. um, just this desire to be um, held accountable or disciplined because because of the act. Those two things might sort of come together in their minds and, and lead to a permanent sort of lifelong fixation on that particular Yeah. Event, that makes sense. so parents should be very careful. I think you know we talked last week about the girl that um, was a. Uh, I think we talked about her. She was yeah, masturbating in her room. Yeah, getting paddled
1: by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and yeah. Getting,
2: you know, getting getting paddled by her stepfather <laughs> in response to being masturbated is probably not the best uh, set of. Right.
1: Group. Right. Okay, so another question about adolescence. Like teenagers, when they first become sexually active, this is very common. I think a lot of people go through this, and they think they're totally in love with this person. They think they're going to spend the rest of their lives with them. So many lives are destroyed because, you know, kids aren't taught, hey, you're going to go through this phase where your hormones are going to be out of control, and when you become sexually active, you're going to think you're Totally in love because of the act. What happens in the brain once a child becomes sexually active that they become like so obsessed with this other person?
2: Well, I mean, I think hormonally, of course, you know, you're you going to find these these things um, sending mixed messages. I think about romantic love and lust. Yeah. And it's the child, you know, the adolescent's inability really to distinguish between lust and love. And I think this is an adult. You know, many adults have the same problem. Um, we take these feelings, especially if you don't have a lot of sexual experience, it's so pleasurable um, uh, that it's, it's, it's like you know, almost like in their you. minds,
1: it's like, oh, this must be love because I'm feeling so good, I'm having orgasms, I've been playing with myself for a couple of years now and finally have somebody else to play with me, somebody else to get me off, so it feels so good that it must be love. But is there, like, something, I know there's endorphins, like, you know, with attraction and sexual attraction and everything, but is there something chemically that's, like, released that, you know, causes that? And especially in adolescents, it just seems like, or teenagers, it just seems like it's so pro
2: yeah, I don't I don't think there's a specific sort of hormone or anything that's that's probably to blame for this. I think it's a ma- it's a matter probably of of, you know, this conglomerate of hormonal factors happening neurocognitively, but also just these cognitive errors that we make and the attribution of the source of pleasure and um you know, assuming that this is a person we'll spend the rest of our lives with.
1: So in other words, young and dumb in, in layman's terms. <laughs> I think yeah. I And I
2: don't want to say that, you know, sometimes there I think sometimes, you know, there really are cases of genuine love that could happen. Um I think it's quite rare, but I do think it's possible um that, you know, you see. I think the
1: majority of them get it confused, like you said, between lust and love and usually relationships that start that early in life, very rarely very rarely. Yeah, and I don't and have I think the that numbers you know, in front of me. Us
2: can, yeah. You know, if most of us can reflect back about our our infatuations right. in high school, for instance. I mean, I remember being attracted to um, another boy in high school, and you know, when we were juniors or something like that. And I found, found him incredibly attractive, but but I didn't like him as a person. Like I found him incredibly obnoxious and not too bright, and you know, it, it, there was no sort of uh, you know. No compatibility. Yeah, but if you became
1: term. sexually active with him, were you sexually active with him? If you're sexually active no, with him a lot of No, I be, of
2: course. I mean, I was just like most straight boys, or most gay boys, I was attracted to a straight boy. <laughs> so the but,
1: I know, uh, but in cases where they do become sexually active, whether yeah, it's yeah. two boys, two girls, a girl and a boy, um, a lot of times it's like, oh my gosh, we love each other, we're going to be together forever, this is it, oh my gosh, because it's their first experience, their first sexual experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say it a phenomenon, but I've heard a lot of cases where someone is kidnapped, sexually abused, molested, or raped, and the victim falls in love with the, like, sick fuck that abused them. Why is that? Why mm-hmm. does that happen?
2: Um, again, you know, I think it's 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 the sort of, uh, you know, confusion of the, the pleasurable experience and um, the person being in control or holding the reins in terms of giving them that, that bolus of delight. Um, yeah. You know, that that person is triggering these incredibly euphoric sexual experiences, and they have that control over them. Um, right.
1: Sometimes it's not euphoric. Sometimes it's like, a, you know, a heinous crime. Sometimes it's – I've heard cases where it's like people who were scared and, you know, maybe uh, escaped from a kidnapper or, you know, they were raped or, you know, it's somebody who – committed something heinous against them and they're a victim in the situation but then they have like this obsession or this love towards that person i just mm-hmm. psychologically i just i don't know i just thought i'd ask ask you yeah
2: <laughs> uh, i mean it, it depends i suppose on the individual case of course and um uh, i think you know part of part of the difficulty is um, allowing ourselves to to sort of differentiate our physiological response that maybe it actually does feel pleasurable. You know, we do have some sort of, um, um, sort of, you know, carnal gratification from, from a, even a a violent crime, but it doesn't mean that we want it or desire it or, or want to, you know, continue it. Um, so separating those things, I think is very difficult. People are prone to cognitive dissonance. they, 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 they can't handle that tension between what the body is responding to and what they know to be wrong.
1: Right. Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. Without giving away too much in your book about why the penis is shaped like that, why is the penis shaped like that, Jesse? Just give me a brief synopsis.
2: I, I thought you would never ask.
1: Um, <laughs> I know we talked about your other book before so I wanted to bring this one up and um, right. again everyone you can uh, google Jesse's books and you know he has Perv the sexual deviant in all of us why is a penis shaped like that you've got some other books too Jesse
2: my first book was not sexual, sexually related um, actually it, was, it was, a belief <laughs> was a book about sort of the psychology of religion but yeah why is a penis shaped like that is a collection of essays so um uh, that's one of the essays about the shape of the penis but there're lots of other things about the sort of evolved peculiarities of of human beings um so so the the human penis is actually very different uh and it and it's, it's basically much bigger <laughs> than uh other primate species penises some, not donkeys squirrel. or
1: horses
2: though. <laughs> uh no. These are just well. I'm talking about like primates, so monkeys and apes and uh yes. if you look okay. at ours compared to to a gorilla, for instance, you know, which is three times the size of us physically its penis is um a fraction of the size. And unfortunately, I've seen, I s i knew a gorilla once and I saw him and uh that, that was the case. I didn't have anyway, I don't want to go too far into that that example. Okay, but, it's okay. Um, it's
1: okay. You just submitted yeah, on my show that you're checking out the gorilla no, package. No, the, <laughs> I'm the, kidding, I'm the, teasing you. The <laughs> so um so
2: the penis so the so the the human penis is characterized by this very distinctive gland, basically the head of the penis, um and the coronal ridge underneath the glands, that sort of umbrella lit. Um, you may not be familiar with this, Dr. Zoe. I'm, I'm not sure if that. Uh, you, are you following the?
1: Yeah, I'm following you. Circ- now, okay. so when a penis is uncircumcised, like the way that, you know, and there's many you know guys that are out there still that aren't circumcised, and they get an erection and you pull the Foreskin back. There's still the head the of the penis. Back, yeah. I think a lot of people, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, have the idea that oh, it looks like an elephant trunk, and that's just the way it looks when it's hard. No. And you, when a man that's uncircumcised and you pull the foreskin back, there is a head, and you're talking about the head, and then the glands. The so around away. the, yeah. I like the ridge. I like to call it like the fireman hat. So you got the right. top of the fireman hat, and then around the edges of the fireman hat. Yes. Go on.
2: So that's the so this is so the evolutionary interpretation of this and why it looks like that is because it actually serves a function, um, and that is to it's basically sort of acts as a, a a plunger. It retracts or pulls out the sperm cells of male competitors that had sex with that same woman within about a 48-hour period of time because that's mm. the average lifespan of a sperm cell. So what that tells us is that in the ancestral past, 100 150,000 years ago or so women were having sex with the same woman was having sex with multiple male partners within that Imagine short period that. of time. So it does <laughs> call into question, you know, the, the sort of the, the naturalness of monogamy. Definitely. It doesn't tell us anything about whether the woman was doing it, um, uh, you know, consensually, unfortunately, but it does tell us that women were having sex with multiple males uh, over that period of time. So if the male, so if if a man ejaculates into a woman and then another man follows him and thrusts with his, Is and the deeper he goes. So, this bigger actually is better in the sense of being more adaptive, pulling, you know, going deeper into the reproductive canal and pulling out
1: Mm -hmm. more Amen. Preach to me. Tell me some more about that. (laughs) That So, so uh, it actually does make a
2: lot of sense. So, So so bigger is better in
1: pulling the, it's created to pull the other man's, pull out
2: the the other guy's junk, you know, and then you ejaculate and you're much more likely to inseminate that woman and she's going to conceive with your child. Okay. Okay. But but there are also all these other things like that's also you know argued to be the reason why. Well, once uh, after man ejaculate, typically they get very tired, um, right. and you know it's a sort of a great sleep aid, a natural sleep aid. Uh, and th- the reason they say is because this, if you keep thrusting after you ejaculate, um, you're just going to be disadvantaging your own reproductive success. So you'll be pr- pulling out your own sperm cells if you keep going after um, after you come.
1: Right. So, right. What about what about I want to ask you about this real quick. What about like there's okay, I think it's Asian culture cultures and also in India. Okay, so Asian culture there is a saying that one drop of semen is equal to a thousand of blood. And there is certain teachings that and I don't know all the details but I've explored them and there's teachings that it's teaching the man to not to get themselves To the point of ejaculation, but not to ejaculate because you're giving that woman your, you know, yin or yang and, you know, Mm. to pull out from her instead and suck her. Now, in India, there's a man that sits on the street and he can put a glass of water in front of him and suck it into his penis. So Ooh. there is a sucking <laughs> sensation that can happen, that and I've I never think heard. I've never it's kind of heard. like women and what we teach women. All of you listening on the show, and as you listen to Dr. Zoe today, we teach women to do Kegel exercises because a woman, like I can make myself come just from moving my muscles inside my body, and women don't understand the power of the Kegel and how they can tighten up their vaginas and do Kegel exercises. So now this. This, like, I really want to study more on this, but have you heard anything about that as far as the Asian cultures talking about sucking from the woman instead of giving their semen to the woman, and then Indian cultures uh, where men can actually like like a straw, like suck up with their penis liquid. Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> that's,
2: new to that that's new to me. That's that <laughs> okay, we got to explore read more that about, stuff.
1: I want to find out yeah. more about that. But so <laughs> um, it makes sense, though. It makes sense for what but, you're saying.
2: Well, I mean, you've got you've got the sort of folk interpretations of human sexual behavior in different societies and why they do the things that they do. But then, sort of at a deeper level than that, you've got the sort of adaptive function of why you know that particular that that particular society given the set of sort of socio uh, uh economic factors that they're dealing with and so on, what you know, population control issues. So right, right. You know, that's that, true. it makes a lot of it true. makes sense in, in, in places where, you know, it's it's sort of population management. Um
1: right. right.
2: there are cultures there were cults in groups, the
1: United I, States we just we just yeah. give out uh we administer we we give out shots and chemtrails and beautiful things like that.
2: <laughs> right, and you know there 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 were societies in i think the the Oneida community in upstate New York was this sort of religious cult group um in the early twentieth century, and one of their practices was um stirpic, stirpiculture, which is exactly this where the man would um you know they they were allowed to have penetrative you know sex with the female partner, but they couldn't actually come they had to you know they had to pull out at the last minute. Um, and that wasn't considered um that wasn't considered inappropriate, but if they actually ejaculate into the woman, then that was sort of a major social offense um so you know it does it does make sense i think in in communities where they want to really sort of have a a tight grip on. Uh, the, the member's reproductive behavior.
1: Yeah, I know guys. I know guys that I counsel and guys that, you know, I'm a confidant to that actually get turned on by stimulating themselves but not coming and then stimulating themselves again and not coming. And it builds up this energy and they use it and they use that energy and they put it out in business and they put it out in different areas. And, it's you mm-hmm. know, it's strange, but it's true. It works for them. Hey, do you feel as... Um, do you feel that the media is playing a role? I want to talk to you about technology and media. How do you feel that technology and media has played a role in our sexual pro- practices over the last 10, 20 years? Like dating sites, hookup apps, you got easy access to porn, video games like Red Theft. Auto, where you're picking up hookers and you're killing them, you know. There's so much stuff, and then the media. So, how do you feel that technology, because it's advancing every day, and media yeah, plays yeah. a role in our sexual practices?
2: Well, I think. I mean, I think first of all, um, technological innovation. I, I think the sex the sex business drives technological innovation and sort of industry and sort of the um, the progress that we made in terms of our. Technological capabilities, because I think that what motivates um, developers is sales figures, and what actually contributes most to sales figures is people's interest in sex. So you're gonna you're gonna see oftentimes, um, you know, the sort of the the newest, most advanced technology, um, somehow capitalizing on human sexuality.
1: Yeah, because it's always so damn sexy. So damn. It's gonna
2: be at the forefront of these trends yeah but also, but I think that you know the interesting thing for me is that it's forced us as a society to come to grips with the fact that we are um incredibly sexual organisms you know that um yeah. you, you can't you can't um ignore these things like we did in the 1950s for instance or 1960s where you know there wasn't you know every other okay but Jesse why
1: Why is it and I'm sorry for interrupting you but you know it's radio and you know I want to I want to I want to cover as many topics as we can why is it still so fucking taboo to talk about sex and sexual issues like you don't even know like my family hates what I do I've got like you know whatever I mean and I don't care I'm going to do what I do but you know the show that I do is to bring awareness, and yes, it's controversial, and yes, it's fun, and yes, it's crazy, and like next week, I've got Donnell Rawlings coming on that was on Dave Chappelle, and we're going to crack the fuck up, and now I have you on, but whatever we do, it always has a positive twist. We're always bringing Mm -hmm. real, raw, relevant information about love, sex, and relationships, helping couples, whatever, okay, and it's still so taboo. Why is it that we're such an open sexual you know sexually as a society more and more but yet it's still so taboo i have a product called sex butter it's like so taboo to have um you for instance i know that like we talked about it last week how you love like you know the fact that it it was it's shocking to people so why do you think that
2: is still Well, it does, you know, pushing people into corners and and making them uncomfortable and forcing them to recognize or to to acknowledge the fact that we are animals with these these uncontrollable desires and we have absolutely no control over them. I think that it scares people, it frightens people, um, first of all, because it reminds them that we are animals. And I think that at the bottom of that is sort of our fear of our own mortality. Um, you know, we're just like other species, copulating and ejaculating, and all the things. I think that's God, just, you know, I have nine-inch
1: nails going through my head now. You know that song? Yeah. I want to fuck you like an animal. Like I got it, like that's running right. through my yeah. head now. Okay, yeah. So it does. It so, does scare people, right?
2: Right, and I also think that um, you know, it's just a reflection of people's uncomfortableness um, with the, the the possibility that others will see them as abnormal or different um, in the domain of sexuality. And sex is like. You know, if I know what somebody else is into um, in terms of what turns them on or turns them off, that's like the the most valuable socially strategic piece of information that I have about them, so it gives me a lot of control in terms of their their reputation um and, True. you know I think seems of them. like.
1: Right. It seems like men, especially men with a lot of power, um, you know, and that's what I do for a living. I'm the confidential coach to men, leaders. Um, You know, I've been a personal confidant to extremely successful men for over a decade. I love what I do because leaders really don't have anybody that they can go to and confide in. But what is crazy is that these guys, the more power, the more notoriety they have, it seems like the more sexual deviance they have. especially leaders in politics and religion. Why do you think it's more prevalent and powerful? Like with more power, there's more sexual deviance.
2: That's fascinating. I mean, it, it could be just sort of they could be hypersexual in the sense that, you know, they're just sort of addled with testosterone, which, you know, makes them, um, you know, incredibly attracted to positions of authority and um, status and, and dominance, Um, so I guess it makes sense in that way, but also, you know, from a psychodynamic or psychoanalytic perspective, there's, I've seen arguments suggesting that, um, that, that influential successful people oftentimes are, you know, have sexual issues that are unresolved. Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of their success is basically an attempt to sublimate those, uh, those desires. So they, they put all their energy into, they put all their energy into something else.
1: Don't tell anybody, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I love successful people. No, the that secret, makes
2: a lot of sense. The secret to success is sexual deviance, in other words, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You heard it here on Dr. Zoe today. The secret to success is sexual deviance. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and I know, Jesse, you don't have a lot of time, but we're going to try to get to a couple of your questions from our listeners in just a second with Jesse Baring's
0: fantastic. Are you a leader in your industry? A high-performance male on the cutting edge of business, sports, or entertainment with no one you can trust to talk to about relationships, financial, or career issues? Dr. Zoe has been a confidant to men just like you for over a decade. Get this secret weapon in your corner and become one of her VIP clients today. Go to catapulteng.com. That's dot tcom Or call one 844 my doctor That's one 844 my doctor
1: Okay, we are talking with Jesse Baring, and this is PERV, the sexual deviant in all of us, part two. Make sure you listen to last week's show. It was amazing. And we're going to answer a couple of your questions about love, sex, and relationships. If you have a question you want my guests and I to answer on the Dr. Zoe Today app, right on it, you can click on Ask Dr. Zoe, submit your question there, or you can go to doctorzoetoday.com. Okay, Jesse, you ready to answer a few of the listeners' questions? I'm
2: willing to try.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, Robin writes in. She says, I have two brothers who I'm very close to. One is so sexually promiscuous it worries me that he's going to catch some diseases, and the other is so careful that he only sleeps with women he's in a long-term monogamous relationship with. I don't understand how two people with the same genetics can be so different. Hmm. What do you think?
2: That's- that's a great question. I mean, there are individual differences in this this concept called disgust sensitivity, which translates to our, our sexual behaviors. People that are very um, sort of anally fixated on catching diseases and all that sort of thing are, are much more likely to be disgusted by um, the body, basically the physical body and all the things that come out of it. And they tend to sort of overcompensate with that in their protective measures. But on the other hand, People that have a low disgust sensitivity are more easily aroused. Um, And when you're in a state of physiological arousal, you're much more likely to underestimate the likelihood of getting, uh, you know, catching some sort of uh, sexually transmitted disease so there's this interesting thing when you're you're super horny you make really bad decisions
1: (laughs) when you're super horny you make really bad decisions like guys yeah yeah, guys (laughs) thinking with the wrong head or women that are just like totally horny and that makes a lot of sense and you hear about this even in twins so it's not uncommon Um, even twins that I know one is very wild sexually and one is very you know more modest so that's not I don't think it's uncommon at all. All right, Jan uh, Jan wrote in. I recently moved in with a man I happily dated for eight months. After about a week of living together, I discovered he had large holes in the pockets of every single pair of pants he owned always on the left side when I asked him about it he told me it was so he could masturbate in public places it grossed me out and I've been staying with my mother for two weeks because of it as I already gave up my condo oh I'm wondering if I'm right and it's disgusting or is it more common than I think I say more common than you think what do you say Jesse
2: um, I don't have, you know, I don't think that there are any exact statistics on this. I think it's it's a it's an interesting question because it to me it gets really at the heart of harmfulness. I mean, the things that make that sort of creep us out and seem that, that are sort of intuitively disgusting, like this for this woman, um, <laughs> if she tried if she tried to articulate why it's wrong, I think that she would probably have a hard time doing so. Um, you know, because he's not if he's doing this in in, in sort of his, his own profit you know, his own private subjective <laughs> fantasy world he's and people aren't aware of playing pocket pool <laughs>
1: privately. <laughs> yeah. you
2: know, I mean, if he's doing it with, with sort of discretion and people aren't aware of what's happening, yeah. then, you know, what's the harm, really? I, I think yeah. that the fact that it makes us um, deeply uncomfortable, it's not a good reflection of whether it's right or wrong. And I think that she just has to ask herself um, – you know what is what sort of things is she into that that he doesn't know about that um, could make him feel similarly or other people right. would judge well, her. Right, good the same point.
1: Way. That's a very good point. And I still don't think I think it's more common than you think. I think that you know there's different things that turn us all you know turn us on and like I you know I mean public places things like that. Everyone is different, so I think it is a lot more common than you think. And I love what you said about you know turning the tables. <laughs> I love that. Okay, Ryan writes in. I'm a gay man who's in a civil union with a man 19 years older than me. I call him daddy, and he calls me son, not just in bed, on a day-to-day basis. My friends tell me it's disturbing, but I don't feel like it is. What do you think? All right, well... I think whatever turns you on, whatever works for you, as long as it's not hurting anyone else, um, you know, who cares what they think. Uh, The daddy thing, very common. Um, Son, you know, I don't know about how common that is, but, you know, daddy thing is very common. Jesse, what do you think?
2: Well, I'm I'm sort of inclined to agree with you in this one, too. I mean, it's, you know, it's not not anybody else's business, really, in terms of what people are um, sexually attracted to. You know, there are... Right about this whole idea of erotic age orientations, where people are attracted to sort of you know certain age demographics. Right. This sounds like one of them. You know, once attracted to an older person, significantly older person. The other attracts to significantly younger. As long as they're over the legal age of consent, but there's really not a problem.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. Horny. He put his name as horny. I'm a 42 year old male. When I masturbate, I sometimes want to eat my cum. Is this weird? I say no. I think it's very mm-hmm. common.
2: The I, it's very common if you look at gay porn especially uh, you, know, if, you know that does remind me that's something that I wanted, you know, I've been wanting to write about this this topic for quite a while actually
1: yeah. um,
2: because as far as I know there's no academic research I know that there are other species plenty of other species aside from human beings that
1: I think it's common with women things. too I don't think it's just men I think it's common with like I love the way that my pussy tastes and the, I really mm-hmm. like my ass like the way my ass smells you know what I mean like <laughs> I love like when my ass is fresh and then it gets a little sweaty and I give off my own odor, like, I know it's weird, but, I mean, I just like it, and I love the way that I taste, and I want to taste myself all the time. I don't think that this is um, weird. I don't think it's weird at all. I think, again, it goes back to what we feel is wrong, and, um, you know, I mean, I think it's very, very common, and I don't watch gay porn, gay male porn anyway, so I I don't know about that. So it's really common in gay society.
2: Um, it's definitely common. I mean, there's definitely nothing wrong with it. Uh, but whether, you know, what exactly is behind it or why people are motivated to do it is not entirely What do
1: you think? I mean, you're like a brain. Like, what do you think is the,
2: because it comes
1: from um, us. It's like, it's like people who, you know, oh, I'm not going to go there. Okay. So, I mean, what do you think it is? I think it's just natural. I,
2: I I, I really don't know. I mean, I, I think, um, it's probably something related to the, the taboo element, in the sense of you know it's something that we are not supposed to be doing, and therefore it actually becomes much more arousing as a consequence right. of that. Right, right. Probably part of it. So uh, and no, it could, just, it could also be. I know I've noticed with like gay porn, you know, it's definitely done for the effect, uh, sort of a shock, sort of value <laughs> associated with it, in the sense of uh, um, people paying attention to it and doing it, sort of in, in an exhibitionist sense. So you know it'd be interesting whether this person does it when he's masturbating just alone or when he does it, you know, in in the presence of other partners and so on too. Right.
1: Right, right, exactly. I don't think it's. I don't. It's not. Think for, it's it's not I don't think
2: it's for nourish. I don't think it's for nourishment. So I think it could probably. No, be
1: I don't that. either. I don't, maybe it was <laughs> back in the cave days, but no, I don't think it is either because it is good protein. <laughs> anyway, yeah, and you know, ladies and men, good protein. All right, Jason writes in. I'm hopelessly turned on by she males. I would instantly turn gay for one, even though I have never sucked a dick or had gay sex. It's, mm-hmm. o- it's the only porn I watch, but I would never want to be with a regular man. So does this make me bisexual?
2: <laughs> no, actually this is this is really interesting because it is kind of a puzzle if you think about it, why otherwise, you know, very heterosexual men um would be attracted to the uh I mean see, it's porn, a, it's the a, female with genre. a penis, I mean, he, but
1: there's a penis involved. So the
2: interpretation of no, the interpretation is that it triggers our sperm competition um, psychology from, from a man's perspective. Mm, sperm because Sperm competition of all, you've got, psychology. You've got this beautiful, That's your next this,
1: book. That's your next book. You've,
2: you've got this beautiful woman. You know, she's got these gorgeous breasts, and she's got a very feminine face, and she's dressed like a woman. And all of a sudden, she pulls down her pants, and she's got a big penis. Um, to to the this basically tricks your mind into thinking that there's a man having sex with this beautiful woman. And you're competing with that man. So that actually makes you even hornier in terms of what we talked about earlier with the shape of the penis and thrusting deeper
1: mm-hmm. um
2: and turning you on even more. So Now isn't is this
1: of, aren't they men that have breast implants and hormone therapy and things like that? Isn't that what a she male is?
2: No, and there's all sorts of uh categories. Uh, or it could be a female that had so. a penis implant. Um I mean, it could be somebody sort of post or pre pre-op in the terms of being a transsexual uh, okay. male to female. Um, okay,
1: so it's a male that is pre-op.
2: Um, in this case, yeah. I mean, if she actually does have her own, if she does anatomically have breasts, um, and it's not just sort of makeup and everything, she's not. It's it's much more than just simply being like a um, a drag queen.
1: Right, 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 right. Okay. I say that I hate labels. Like I don't I don't condone. I do not like labels. I think we're each individuals and we're all different. Um but I mean, I would say that if you say you're going to you would turn gay um for a female in an instant and there's a penis involved, I mean, there's got to be some kind of like bisexual thing there. But Jesse mm, says, no. "I don't
2: think so actually." No, I don't think so. I think that I think that there's there's actually a very large contingent of of Completely straight men that are totally really right. A book on, on this, by, Jesse.
1: Totally, yeah, that are
2: really turned on by the female porn. Yeah,
1: okay. All right, Rachel writes it. She puts, I'm dating this guy who is gorgeous, but he likes to lick my armpits. It's not exactly something that turns me on. Should I tell him to stop or keep it quiet or keep my opinion quiet? Um, <laughs> if you love him and it's not hurting anything and it gets him off, I say let it be. What do you say, Jesse?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you know you just have to compromise sometimes in your sexual relationships. If it brings him pleasure and that's what turns him on, and it doesn't really cause you harm, it might make you it might kind of make her weird out. But um, that's that's pretty innocent to me.
1: All right, we got two more questions I want to get to. William, uh, do you think every freak has its match? I have many fetishes from the everyday foot fetish to some more extreme. I hope you're not eating people, William. Uh, Whenever a woman really gets to know me and what I like, the relationship ends. You're that freaky, huh, William? Uh, do you think finding a compatible person is possible, or should I give up on that idea? I say no, it is. It is possible. There's, yeah, I believe, there's a freak for every freak. Definitely. Maybe you're going to like different things, but you could compromise or something like that. What do you say, Jesse?
2: Absolutely, and I think that he's lucky that he lives in the internet age, you know, where we could actually, you know, sort. We could actually sort of select people accordingly before even meeting <laughs> them in terms of yeah. our sexual compatibility. So, um, yeah, it's definitely possible. That's yeah, my book you, that I'm yeah. writing,
1: Know Your Freak Level. And even though there's so many different levels, I'm going to put them in categories and put that book out here pretty soon. Know or have an, you know, just have
2: an open conversation early on in the relationship and just sort of suss that person out before – necessarily shocking than in the bedroom itself.
1: Exactly. We talk about that. Communication is key. We always talk about that on the show. Okay, one more question. Brett, I'm married to a very classy, beautiful, successful woman for almost 10 years. About a month ago, one of her friends brought up something in a conversation that I had no idea of. There is an easily accessible video from the mid-90s of my wife having sex with a donkey. I know it was a long time ago, but I'm more upset about this than I would be if she was cheating on me our entire relationship. I cannot let it go. I guess I'm asking for a voice of reason. (laughs) Well. Okay, I say dump the bitch. Every time you have sex with her, all you're going to see in your mind is donkey dick, so there's no way you're going to, if you even said in the question you can't let it go, then you need to move on, I say. But, you know, let's see what Jesse says.
2: I don't know. I mean, to me, again, it sort of comes down to the question of of harm. You know, Jesse, <laughs> I, I spent some time, I spent some time in the book talking about sexuality it, it wasn't easy for me. Which book, which action.
1: book, which book?
2: In Perve. And okay. um, it, it wasn't easy for me because I personally find it really aversive and off-putting and, and, you know, I hesitate to say it's disgusting, but I kind of do. <laughs> but from a logical sort of rationalist perspective, I also understand that you have to look at the situation on a case by case basis and, um, if you know what she's doing with that donkey is not inherently hurting that donkey and could in fact be interpreted as bringing it pleasure, then, you know, then it's becomes more of just sort of a social stigma in terms of, uh, her having sex with another species.
1: Uh, so, Brett, so I, every time you talk to her, just like get in bed and while you're fucking just be like, Hey, with it fun getting that donkey off? Not. I don't think that's going to work. I don't well, think it's going to work. There, I understand plenty, from your point there are plenty of view. Of
2: men, there are plenty of men, you know, that I guess are turned on by those sort of things. Okay. Park, yeah, Florida, that's true.
1: That's true. That's true. <laughs> Brett, I say let her find somebody that is turned on by the fact that she's been I with a donkey. I think I probably
2: would agree just for <laughs> him. <the
1: ball>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we have time for tonight. Before we go, Jesse, tell everybody again, once again, where they can check you out and keep up with what you're doing.
2: Sure, I have a website, it's just my name, jessiebearing.com, dot com, and I'm on Twitter that's, at Jesse That's
1: J E S S E B E R I N G dot com. Yeah. And then you're on Twitter just with your name, right?
2: Um I am, right. So okay. just no I. The yeah, I is the girls version of Jesse, so just skip that.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much for being on the show tonight. My I pleasure. really appreciate yes. it. And it's so much fun. Look forward to